failures, bring your addictions, come lay them down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting, God so loves the world. Good morning. You know, we just sang the song that said that God loves us. And we all know that, right? I mean, you can read in God's word multiple places where it said that God loves us. But you know there's a difference between knowing that God loves you and experiencing being loved by God? I mean, the experience of, of being loved is different. It's so much deeper than just knowing in your mind that God loves you. So this morning, I pray that as we worship him today, and as we go throughout this day of worship and the word and fellowship and all we do, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just come down and hug you today and let you know that you are loved, that you would experience that love of the Father. You know what I'm talking about? That we just know, that we just feel his embrace. Even in all the turmoil of stuff going on, and the, the frustration of the lies and the fear, to know that our Father really loves you. And he has his best reserved for you. That is such a blessing. Stand with me, if you will. Father, we just come to you now. And we know that you love us. But Lord, we are asking you for a divine revelation of feeling your love today. That we would know what it feels like to be loved by you. That our hearts would just melt in the presence of your holiness and of your righteousness and of your love. So as we worship you today, that's our goal. That's our heart. We pray that you feel our love to you as well. That we return the love. That it's a two-way street. That we feel your love and then we express it back to you. That's our heart today. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship him this morning. Praise a hallelujah. In the presence of my enemies. In the middle of the storm, 
your right hand 
oceans of joy, a harbor for drifting hearts. So give me Jesus, and I'll be satisfied. The living water, the well that won't run dry. In His presence, we find our true life. So give me Jesus, and I'll be going to worship a little bit more and i just want to encourage you this morning to reach out and say father this is not praying for anybody in your family this is not praying for your financial needs this is not praying for this church there is no need given here the only thing we're asking the lord for is to let us experience his love that's all he wants that's all we want just experience the love of jesus Jackie, lead us again in a song. And and I just would ask you just to close your eyes and lift your hands if you're comfortable or turn around and kneel at your seat or whatever, whatever position you feel you need to get into. But just ask the Lord to embrace you with his love this morning. And he accepts you just as you are. And he wants to work with you and love you. Jackie. Have you ever felt that? Life is an adventure. There's so much back there that we can look at that would hold us back from, like Paul said in Philippians, pressing on, pressing on, straining 
is the word straining. And I, I have a lot of that for the need to strain. If you strain forward, you won't be looking backward to those things. And forgiveness on the 70 times 7 level is a part of that. Keep straining. Well, Keep today straining. we are finally reaching the end of Second Peter. Uh, we've been on this study on and off now for a number of a few months, and we've taken a few breaks here and there for special occasions. But uh, I, I, I like studying through a book of the Bible. I think it gives us a reference point. I think it keeps us grounded in tech context. And um, I've gotten a lot out of this series. I hope you have too. Um, but that's normally what happens. The teacher benefits more than the student most of the time. And if you want to learn something, then teach it. <laughs> and that will help you learn it the best by just uh, finding somebody to teach. So Peter ends his second letter today reminding his readers of the things to come of this, at this world, of, in this world as it comes to an end. That's how he's ending this letter. He's talking about what happens to the world as we know it. And then he alludes to the fact that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth coming. He talks a little bit about Paul's letters. Paul, he refers to Paul's letters as being somewhat difficult to understand. It's interesting. I think that they were, well, obviously they were counterparts. Paul and Peter knew each other. And all the disciples knew Paul because he came under their, under their direction and under their, their, their familyhood, if you will. But Peter had a, a revelation knowledge that Paul's letters were on the same order as the Old Testament scriptures, that they were inspired of God, which was interesting to know that, that a, con a contemporary would look at each other's with no competition, <laughs> no saying, well, I don't really want you to think too much of Paul because I want you to think more of me. Uh, he gives Paul a lot of credit in the fact that Paul is writing biblically, even though the Bible wasn't terminology, termed at that at that point in time, but it was on the, on the level of ordained scripture. But it was somewhat difficult to understand sometimes because Paul was a deep writer. And then finally, he reminds his leaders, his readers, Peter's readers here, how, given all the context of what this passage is about, how they should live their lives, knowing that the future of the world is destruction. And the reality of eternity that awaits us all. And I think that's a, a great way to end a letter. So let's jump into this today. Let's read together Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. And so let me ask you again, would you stand with me as we read this? But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. Verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote with the wisdom that God gave him. Verse 16, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Father, I just pray that you would discern, help us discern this passage today. What we're going to study, I pray that it be done in proper context, 
with proper understanding so that we can help all of us, that we can help ourselves and others be led closer to you in this time that we're living in. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So we start out in verse 10, which we've been reading for the past couple weeks. Um, And from this, we get Peter's prophetic voice of what's going to happen in the world. Verse 10 says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The elements, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Now we've been talking about the day of the Lord coming as a thief. And this is the day of the Lord is not a 24 hour period as we've already talked about, but it is a period of time beginning with the rapture of the church. When the church is raptured or taken out of this world, the day of the Lord begins. And that is a tribulation time that's going to last seven years on this earth until the second coming of Christ comes, where Christ actually touches down and he defeats the enemy and uh, the Antichrist and all the evil of that time and then begins the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand-year millennial reign. We've talked about that in detail in the past. But we're gonna. But but the day of the Lord, the rapture. I just want you to know that I think about that every day, and I would ask you to think about that every day. Do not think you can overthink about the rapture of the church, because that helps us be prepared for it. That doesn't mean we go sit on a mountaintop and put on a cloak and a dagger or whatever a cloak and, and just sit on a mountaintop and. And wait. No, it means we get actively involved and stay daily involved in our life and try to do everything we can to win others for Christ and disciple them and get involved and stay busy while it's day. It's an active time. It's not just a passive time of thinking. It is an activity time that we are more busy than ever because we know that our enemy is more busy than ever trying to do everything he can to stop the day. In fact, Peter even alludes to it in this writing that we can hasten the day. How do we hasten the day? By getting involved and by testimonies and by evangelism and by spreading the word of God however we can through the world. So the the coming of the, the day of the Lord comes as a thief is going to be a surprise. It's not going to be known by the world. The day of the Lord, the rapture is going to be a surprise event. And we need to keep talking about it. Because for the unbeliever or for the casual believer that really isn't ready for this day or taking this seriously, that will be the worst day of their life. And everything following will only be worse. So we do not want to miss that day. That's why we're to keep talking about this mysteriously monumental event. The rapture is going to be so amazing. It's going to be so quick so fast, so much happens in the twinkling of an eye. It's a mystery to us that God can accomplish everything he has to accomplish in the twinkling of an eye. It's going to be an amazing day. But Peter tells us here that there's some things that are going to happen after that period of time. He, t- he, says, that the, he says in verse 10 and then also in verse 12, he says, The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. But then he describes it again later in verse 12. He says, that day will, will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. This is not the first time that the world has been destroyed or everything in it has been destroyed. The first time was Noah. That was done with the flood. But this time it's going to be done with fire. I want to show you a little, um, a little example of what fire looks like. Uh, Larry, would you run that, please? Well, it's Saturday morning, and it's a beautiful day here in Charlevoix. Look at the sunshine and clouds, and we're burning a little brush at the back of the church today. And, uh, you know, I just thought I would um, send this little video because this reminds me when I was a, a boy. We burned a lot of brush with my dad over the years when he built Sugarbush Knoll, the uh, subdivision there, and we built a lot of a lot of roads through hardwoods and built a lot, burned a lot of brush. And, you know, I can remember having those conversations with my dad over the years. We'd stand around these brush fires like this, and he would say, you know, boys, 
He said, that's what hell's going to be like. And uh, how'd you like to just to kind of jump in that and kind of do your deal for the day there in that fire? And that was always a good, a good reminder to me of what it means to live for Christ, to, for nothing else to avoid that. But there's so much more to living for Christ than avoiding hell. But having a good bonfire like this is always a good reminder of what hell's going to be like. And so I just share that today as we make a burn pile at the back of our church, the disc golf club is helping me do this helping the church do this today because it's going to help their course as well so if you're a disc golfer i encourage you to come out to center point and uh, play the course um, and also come and visit us on a, any sunday morning or any, any week that any day that we have a service so anyway hey be blessed today and uh, be careful what you burn be blessed you know what was burning so brightly yesterday and so hot there was a hot fire if you go back there today it's just a pile of ashes I mean, the only thing that's left in there is some metal pieces that didn't burn, but all the wood burned up. And so that's what it's going to be like when everything in the earth is laid bare. Everything that we think is so special is going to be burned up, and all it's going to be is a pile of ashes at the end of the day. So it's a good reminder. For those that knew my dad, you probably could even hear him saying those words. (laughs) Boys, go ahead, jump in. If you think hell is so fun, jump right in, he'd say. And I said, no, Dad, we're not going to jump in. But uh, I heard that many times, and uh, it kind of burned into my soul, pun intended. So anyway, um, the second time God is going to destroy the heavens and the earth is going to be in fire. And so then Peter asked this very obvious question. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Think about that for a minute. If everything we see around us is going to be destroyed, everything that we think is so valuable to us right now, that we, that, that we feel it's worth guarding, everything that we're envious over that somebody else has that we want, <laughs> everything that we think is going to give us happiness and fulfillment, Everything we're planning to do in our retirement days. It's all going to burn. How then shall we live? How, will, how then shall we live when we know that everything we have that's so dear to us, so special to us right now, will, be, will end up a pile of ashes? I think it's the kind of question that we can answer. If you're honest with yourself, you can answer this question for yourselves. Maybe we should be people that look at what we own and see as so valuable as maybe not so important after all. And here's a question. Why do we fear death when it really releases us to be with the Lord? Why do we fear death? I mean, I I think we're all given the innate desire to live. In fact, anything that lives wants to live. How many times have you tried to squish a bug? And he, when he sees the shoe coming, he runs. And you're trying to catch him. I mean, how many times are you, I mean, even the most, the smallest thing that has the smallest pea brain that even exists has the desire to live. Nothing wants to die. There's just that built into us. And so I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not, I don't want to go down this path to say, well, we're going to be morbid about it. But I guess the question we have as Christians is that when we know that death is a releasing us from this tent of a body that we have, and it's going to be ushering us into the very throne room of heaven, why do we fear it? Now, I've said this before. My, I, I was with both of my parents in the latter weeks, days of their, of their life. And they were very comfortable knowing where they were going. However, the process of dying can be a little scary. It's okay to admit that. My dad said it quite often. He says, I've never died before. <laughs> I don't know what it's going to feel like when I take my last breath, you know? And I think that's a fair statement. You can't criticize someone for having a concern over the process. But there is such a hope that a Christian has knowing that that 
last breath will bring the next breath, and that next breath is going to be wrapped around the feet of Jesus. What a hope that gives us. So I think if we could grasp that, I think it would help us to maybe hold more loosely to the things of this world. That we wouldn't grab onto things so tightly because we know that God has so much better in store for us. I think it will help us be a little bit more contented with what we have. Let's think about that for a minute. We'll come back and talk about this in a little more detail, but yet when I know that God has something better in store for me, then I can be very contented with the little or the much that I have. I think it will also help me be a little bit more generous with what I have. With the blessings that I have, my finances and my time, maybe I'll be a little bit more willing to give ourselves of that time and of our resources. I mean, do I really need to have the newest and the best of everything? Seriously? Can we enjoy life maybe a little bit more by not having to be so competitive with our neighbor? (laughs) Keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak? So how does Peter answer the question? Peter answers the question. He says that we ought to live holy and godly lives. So what does it mean to you to live a holy and godly life? How do you consider this? I can't answer that question for you today. I'm not even going to try. But I'm going to ask you to do a little homework this week. I'm going to ask you to take this question and this this answer, how then shall we live, and then Peter's answer, a holy and godly life, and meditate it on this week. Ask yourself these kind of questions. Knowing that this life that we're living is so short compared to eternity, how am I living it? Is God asking me to do anything differently? Where should I really be placing my daily priorities? Those are good questions. And I'm not insinuating that anybody's doing anything wrong here today. Uh, These are just good philosophical questions that we need to keep on the front of our minds. As I think about the rapture, as I do on a daily basis, I need to consider these kind of questions. Now, I wish that I could stand in front of you and say that I, I answer them all perfectly all the time. I wish that I could say that, oh, yes, I am living holy and godly every day and I've never missed a beat. I wish I could say that. And I wish I could say that God is not asking me to do anything differently because I'm perfect. But I can't say that. So I'm asking the Lord, how do I change my life and where should I be placing my priorities daily? Those are good questions. And I think if we meditate on those, I think that will help us keep an eternal perspective as what Peter is trying to get us to think about today. Does this make sense? Is this ringing true at all in our hearts? So then Peter continues on with some other good thought-provoking hope here, given that after everything happens the way it's going to happen to this temporary world that we're living in, he says in verse 13, but, keeping, but keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Now, we can read this passage really quickly, but we need to stop here for a minute. Peter is reminding us of the promises of God that we have something pretty amazing ahead of us. And then he says that on a new heavens and a new earth, he says, righteousness will dwell there. Wow. What does that mean? What does righteousness mean in this context? This means that everything that happens in a new earth and a new heavens will be only good and right. There will be no evil. There will be everything good without limitation 
Everything that we exhibit, we experience today is limited. In fact, some of us feel guilty when we have a good day because we're just waiting for the, sh- for the next shoe to drop. We're waiting for tomorrow to come, and all of a sudden, our good day is going to not be so good tomorrow, right? Because we know that everything we have today is limited. We have limited resources. We have limited time. We have limited um, food, limited money, everything. It's all limited. We know that. But righteousness, when righteousness dwells in a new heavens and a new earth, it will be without limitation. Peter is reminding us that God is promising us a new heaven in a new earth. You know, sometimes when we look at the things around us and say, well, we need a new car or we need a different car or something of that nature. Um, and it, we know we have to have these things. I'm not saying they're bad. This is, we're not Gnostics here saying that everything physical is bad and everything spiritual is good. We're not being that. We know physical things can be good. I have no problem with that. But sometimes we wonder, can I afford it? Can I afford that new car? Can I afford a new house? Can I afford an education? Can I afford this? Well, just so you know that when you get to the new heavens and the new earth, you'll never ask that question again. You'll never ask the question, can I afford it? Because the answer is it's already given to you. And yes, yes, it's yours. That's righteousness. And when we dwell with that, it's going to be a beautiful thing. The new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells is perfection at every turn. It means there will be no more disappointments. There will be no more discouragements. There will be no more heartaches. There will be no more saying goodbye to loved ones. No more wishing for something that won't come true. No more sickness. No more pressure of not having enough money to pay your bills. No more stress and worry. We'll have perfect relationship with God and everyone else. Imagine that. (laughs) That you're going to have perfect relationship with everybody you bump into on the street. You're not going to have to cross the street for anybody there because you're going to be having great relationship with them and you're going to have an opportunity to talk to them and experience life together with them. And it's going to be a beautiful time of relationship with people because you really are going to love them and you're even going to like them. See, today we can love and not love and like. Sometimes today don't always match up, right? We always have to love everybody. But that doesn't mean we like everybody. I I get that. But in heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, by that time, we'll like them. (laughs) Because there will be no evil anywhere. No more personal struggles. We'll always be content without worry for tomorrow. Man, how how many nights do you wake up at three in the morning or whatever that time frame you wake up with a dread about what happens tomorrow? Am I gonna have enough? tomorrow. No more. No more of that in the new heavens and a new earth. We're always going to have great conversations. No more confrontation. No more dreaded conversations with somebody because you have to confront them or you're going to be confronted because righteousness dwells there. And And guess what? You're going to be righteous. You're going to be righteous. I'm going to be righteous. It's going to be a beautiful thing. That's what Peter is trying to say here. We cannot overthink this, folks. I just want you to know, you cannot overthink the good things that are coming your way. This world would take it to try to steal it from you. But you cannot overthink or can you out-imagine what heaven is going to be like in a new earth and a new heavens. So with all this said, Peter goes on to say in verse 14, So then, dear, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. What I find so interesting here is that Peter has already told us that we're to live holy and godly lives. And now he's coming again to say, now we are to be found spotless and blameless and at peace. Two different times he says this, but for two different purposes. So the first time he says that we are to live holy and godly lives, it's to avoid 
living in the bonfire. <laughs> it's, to, it's to avoid hell because that is our ticket, if you will, into heaven is living a sin, sinless, not sinless, a forgiven life. We're going to make mistakes, right? But how we deal with those mistakes makes the difference. I don't cover them over and justify them as just my Irish temper. No, I repent of them and I say, Father, please forgive me and by your grace, change me. That's the amazing part of grace. Grace doesn't just happen one time in our life. Grace is an ongoing daily event that helps us want to change our life to be a holy person, to be a godly person, so that I don't have to worry about my future. That's why Peter is saying live a holy and godly life so that we can avoid hell. That's okay. We can say that. Even so, there's, even, there's, even if there's so much more to being a Christian than just avoiding hell, that's a big part of it. Admit it. Nobody wants to spend an eternity in a campfire. Nobody wants to spend a day in the bonfire. But if we're going to believe in heaven, we have to believe in hell too. You can't have one without the other. They both exist. So Peter's saying the first time, now live a godly life, a, sin, a, a forgiven life, a holy life. And then he goes on after describing what the new heavens and the new earth are going to be like. Now he says... Hey, now, guys, if that's the case, then look forward to this by living a spotless life, a blameless life, a life at peace with God. How do you have peace with God? By having proper relationship with him. This is not religion. This is not just checking the box because I go to church. No, this is having relationship. This is having, like we started the service off this morning, knowing the difference between knowing and experiencing the love of the Father. When you experience the love of the Father, you're at peace with the Father. It's living for the greater rewards that are coming. And it's okay to think about rewards that are coming. It's not a selfish thing to live for godly rewards. The reason it's not selfish is because if you're living, if you are doing it selfishly, you won't get them. <laughs> you, you get a godly reward by giving of yourself here, even sacrificially giving of yourself here so that you'll have a reward there. And you do it with the proper motive of helping people here that need help like giving to the blessing box that we're talking about or praying for someone, interceding for somebody or giving financially of yourself for somebody else. And when you do that, God rewards that. God records that and he will reward that so that you will have great rewards in store for you. When the Bible says you can't take it with you, but you can lay it ahead, that's what it's referring to. You can't take it with you in your pocket. You can't stuff it in your casket and expect it to be in heaven with you. But you can lay it ahead by doing good deeds with the right heart, with the right motivation now. That's how we lay things ahead. And so it's with this promise that we can easily give up what would amount to be a short-term gratification here. We can give up a short-term gratification for a long-term reward by doing righteous things by living a blameless, spotless life at peace with God. Jesus talks about it this way in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. This passage deals with so much more than money. This is not just a money passage. But the pocketbook 
is a great, a great reflection of the heart of a person. What you spend your money on is a good indicator of where your heart is. So it's a good thing to evaluate yourself. Where do I spend my money? What, go, just look at your checkbook. Where are my checks written to and to how much? And I'm not saying money is bad. Money is not bad, but the love of money is. Peter, I'm sorry, Paul said this to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning at verse 6. He says, and this is where we're going to talk about contentment. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we, if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. That's a huge word. But people who long to be rich fall into, into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. I spoke earlier about being contented. This is why. This is how we can be contented with what the Lord has given us. You see, when I can be content with everything that I have, little or lot, when I can be content with that, knowing that God is in control of my life and he knows me so well that he has given me everything I need and no more. And I say no more in this regard. Not that having things is bad. I'm not saying that. But sometimes having more can result in evil for some people. See, because God knows how much I can deal with. He knows how much he can trust me with. And you know what? And maybe I need to be more faithful with a little that I have that would prove to him and to me that I could be faithful with more. And so when God says, be content with what you have, he's not trying to keep you in poverty. No, he would love to bless you. And I, I'm not a prosperity teacher, but I believe there's nothing wrong with having good things. I don't think we can put God in a, in a, in a box and, and rub the old genie box and say, God, because I've done this, you have to do this, so bless me with more. I'm not saying that. But I think God wants you to be blessed. I don't think he wants you to be without at all. In fact, I think he promises you that he will give you everything you need. We have to control our wants, however. Our wants can overrule our needs if we're not careful. And that happens to a lot of people. Credit cards are great if you can learn how to use them well. But you have to be able to pay it off every month. Don't get into a situation where you think credit comes so that you can buy what you want and don't have to worry about paying for it. That's a, that's a Democrat. <laughs> that's why they're doing these big bailouts right now. These, these crazy bills have nothing to do with what's going on with COVID or this nonsense. It's just a big overspending that we can't afford to spend. That's not godly, folks. Our country was not built on those kind of principles. Our country was built on godly principles that we don't overspend. Keep our budget under control to the best that you can. Save up for the rainy day. Nothing wrong with that. But money does not grow on a tree. I was told that many times in my life. If it was, we'd probably burn them. <laughs> so as we focus on God's rewards that lie ahead, it becomes so much easier for us to give of our resources now to help build the kingdom of God and to provide for people in the process. Peter then goes on to encourage us with God's reason for his patience as he's already talked about earlier in Second Peter, but he says it again in verse 15. He says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. God's desire is for all people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. God doesn't just choose the select few. He would have all people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that all people are. Because we have the power of choice. And our choice trumps God. I mean, how else could it not happen that way? Because our choice proves what we love. 
The only way you know that you love somebody is because your choices are that you are loving them. The only way you can be proven that you love somebody is by your choices. You know, the old saying is if you give somebody in a, in a headlock and tell them and hold them there until they cry uncle or until they cry out, I love you, they don't really probably love you too much. They just want you to let go of them. <laughs> so I think that's why choice is so important. If God forced us to love him, it really wouldn't mean a lot, would it? It wouldn't mean a lot to you and it wouldn't mean a lot to him. That's why he gives us the choice. And that's why his choice that he gives us, I hate to say it, but it's the truth. It's more powerful than the cross because Jesus died for you and if you reject it, it wasn't because the cross wasn't powerful enough. It's because your choice overtrumped it. It's a powerful choice. So love him. Choose him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, that he would have all people come to a saving knowledge of who he is. And our mission here is to, is to help that happen. Our mission here is to make disciples Go into the world, evangelize, and then be with people and help disciple them along the way. In verse 16, Peter talks more about Paul's writings. He says, Paul writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. For the fact that he says, as they do the other scriptures, Peter is putting Paul's writing at the same level as the Old Testament scriptures. Paul is a deep thinker. Paul is a deep writer. He speaks of things that are difficult to understand sometimes. And for that reason, many were twisting his truths into something that could be seen easier and maybe not saying what he was hoping to say because he also said some very difficult things. Maybe he's talking about Paul's writings were telling people they didn't, what they didn't want to hear. So as a result, false prophets, which Peter dealt with throughout all of 1 and 2 Peter, false teachers and false prophets, they were saying things that itchy ears wanted to hear, especially even more now in the end days. And we know that's happening. So finally, in Peter's last couple of verses, he's emphasizing the most important points he wants to leave his readers with, and that's you and I. Peter is wanting to leave us with great hope and assurance that God is for us. God loves you. He's for you. All we need to do is make sure that we're making the right choices to accept him and put off anything that is contrary to God's word, anything that would make us not at peace with God, we're to get rid of. As you go home and do your homework this week about how then shall we live, if there's anything here that brings unrest or a lack of peace in your heart with God, that's a good, that's a good indicator to get rid of it. Anything that, for you personally, see, because my convictions may be different than your convictions, so I can't place my convictions on you. The Holy Spirit will convict you in areas that are not peaceful. And in those areas, let peace guide you in these areas. Let peace and the Word of God guide you in these areas. And then be diligent enough and be responsible enough to deal with it. Verse 17, Peter says, There is nothing in this world that is worth losing this relationship over with God. Nothing in this world... Verse 17 says, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, all right, this is not a surprise now to you. I'm forewarning you, Peter, Peter's saying. I'm forewarning you that you should be on guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawlessness and fall from your secure position. Right now, your position is secure in Christ. But if you don't guard it, those are the things that we have to guard with. Our money, our possessions, those kind of things, hold those lightly and loosely and let them run through your fingertips easily. But your salvation, however, guard that. Hold on to that tightly because otherwise the lawless one will come and try to strip it away from you. He'll try to give you lies and reasons why you shouldn't believe and trust. That is what you need to guard because that is eternal. Then in verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So as a reader and a studier of God's word, we're all forewarned to be on guard of the enemy's wicked schemes to steal the promises and truths of God's word right out from underneath us. Listen, it can happen. We didn't think that America could be stolen from us. And it's happening right out from underneath us. We're, we're, we're complacent. This is what happens when we're complacent. Things can be sta- taken from you and you don't even know it. And that's what's happening in our political world. That's a good lesson for us. We thought that we were so solid, we were so strong, we were so sovereign that nothing could take away our freedoms. And the, the scary part is they're being taken away and a shot hasn't even been fired. The same thing can happen with our salvation if we're not careful. Be on guard. If you're forewarned, do not let the enemy slide in subtly and take away your salvation. That's what Peter's saying to his people. And that's what we need to be saying to people today in this world because the enemy is, if he was deceptive then, he's 2,000 years trained to be more deceptive today because the devil is not omniscient. He got better in his warfare. He's gotten improved in his warfare. So we need to be on guard in our warfare against him. And we can do this. We just have to be persistent on praying and pressing in and listening to the voice of the Lord and getting in, getting in Scripture. So we're to grow in the grace of God. Now, there's a lot to be talked about there, and I, we won't get, be able to get to it at all. But what's interesting here is that if you look at between verse 17 and verse 18, there's a word, but... Verse 17, therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ instead. So if the way you're going to avoid the former is by doing the latter. Grow in the grace of God. Like I said before, grace is not a one-time event. Grace is an everyday occurrence in our life that we need to make sure that we keep it. um, We need to be tuned into grace all the time. And we need to let it grow. See, we might, you can stagnate for a little bit. It's like going up a mountain. You get to the top and there's no place else to go besides down. (laughs) So we have to be on the upward climb all the time and progressing because once you stop, the only thing you can do is go down. It's like throwing a ball in the air. It gets to a peak. It gets to the apex, and then it starts to fall. We need to be progressing. We need to be growing, because if you don't keep growing, you're going to fall back. If you idle too long, you're going to fall back. If you get too um, complacent with our spiritual life, you're going to fall back. So keep pressing in. Jackie, would you come, please? So as we close this this study on 2 Peter... We're encouraged to stay the course and not be swayed by any argument or spirit of deception that the enemy would bring into our lives. Does that make sense? We're to know that the enemy is very aggressive in today's world and he's full of lies and he's full of all kinds of deceit, doing everything he can to take as many Christians away from their faith as possible. You see, if you're not a Christian, he probably will leave you alone because he's already got you. Satan is limited in his resources. So if he's got you already, he'll probably let you stay there. But if you're a Christian, he's going to be attacking you because he's going to have to do something to take you away from your secured position. So he's not stupid. He won't waste his resources whether they're not required, but he will attack the Christian. So be encouraged. If you're being attacked, be encouraged because you're on the right path. Now stay there. Stay in it. Stay in the fight. Jesus encouraged his disciples this way in John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. There's that word. So that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. That's Jesus talking to you. And he's talking to me. Have peace. Have peace. 
Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And guess what? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. It's the peace that God gives us. There's so much turmoil going on today. I want to encourage you not to fear anything. I want want to encourage you not to fear the virus. Don't fear the government. Don't fear the mandates. Don't fear the media. Don't listen to the media. But press in to your salvation. Put your faith and trust in God completely. And let's be strong in that as we can be the remnant that Jesus is coming back for. Revelation 3, 3, 10 through 11. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. And then if you really want to know, go read the last sentence of the book. Revelation 22, verses 12, then 20. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says this, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Is that your heart's cry today? Come, Lord Jesus. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. Father, there's so much work to be done in the short period of time that's left. We have loved ones that may not be serving you today. We have friends that may not be serving you today. I'm not sure where you're at. If you're watching this or here, I don't know where you're at spiritually. But this is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. If you can hear the heart, the voice of the Lord, listen and answer him today with a positive affirmation of accepting him as your Savior. Then make him your Lord today. Father, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would be the convictor in us, the comforter but convictor first. Convict us to the things that we need to change. Love us then as we do make the changes and enable us to have at peace with you that we so much desire. God, I just pray for this church. I pray for everyone that's listening here. I pray, God, that you would just do a mighty work in our hearts and our lives and that we would honor you, that we would be prepared, looking forward to the day that's coming and know that you have great things in store for us. I just give you praise and I give you thanks. Amen. Let's sing with Larry and Jackie as they play. I mean, Jackie and Tom as they play. And if you want to pray, the the altars are open. Jesus, what a beautiful name. Son of God, Son of Man, Lamb that was slain.
Father, thank you so much for that promise and that hope and that assurance. Lord, as we go to our homes today, I pray that we would just meditate on that that fact all day long, all week long, that we would examine our hearts and lives, looking for that peace that you only only you can give, and that we seek you after all things, and that you would be glorified in our lives, and that we would be at peace with you, knowing that you have such great things in store. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your promises. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed.